God, thank you. There is only two re reasons for a believer to sing, and that is because of your greatness and because of what you've done for us. And Lord, help us to sing with all of our might because of those two uh, just indescribable qualities of yours, who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we just come before you with humble hearts, wanting to give you all of our praise. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would go ahead and be seated and uh, then fill out one of these connection cards, please. Especially if you're a first or second time guest, we would love to know who you are. And you can either put that in the offering plate at the end of the service or, or in the middle of the service. Or you can take it out to the uh, connection area. And I think they have a gift for you if you take it out there. So as for me, I'd take it out there. But you know, that's just up to you. All right, uh, fill that out. And then there's a, a prayer card. And so everybody uh, that has a, a prayer request, please fill that out. Put that in the offering plate. Pastor and staff will be praying for those every Tuesday morning. So please uh, uh, do that. One other thing, right after the service, I want to let you know this now. Uh, we're going to have a brief, we promise it will be brief, um, the uh, uh, Back to Bethlehem informational meeting. So if you're saying, I, you know, David, I've heard you talk about Back to Bethlehem, but I have no idea what, you're, what you mean. I might be interested in it. Uh, just stay real quick. Text your buddies and say, going to be 10 minutes late to Godfathers. And our pastor got that. Uh, and, and, uh, and so stay for that meeting. Promise it'll be brief, but it'll, it'll give you some information about what Back to Bethlehem is all about. All right. Hey, as we uh, continue on through Ephesians, uh, let's just quiet our hearts and, and, and just be committed to the Lord. And there's such, this, this great old hymn uh, just really centers us in our commitment to the Lord. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let's sing it together.
So we're reminded of the admonishment of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, let's just, uh, before we can relate properly to our husbands, our wives, our families, we've got to be relating properly to the Lord God Himself. Amen. So let's just pray this prayer. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the
once again. Lord, we just come before you and ask your blessing upon this time of offering and tithes and offerings, Lord. May each and every cent uh, given today go to your glory, go to the furthering of your kingdom. And uh, Lord, we just ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Let's continue down the path of singing of God's holiness, God's perfection. And there is no greater hymn uh, written in that regard than this next one. Holy, holy, holy.
So, men, how many remember two weeks ago we started the journey of husbands love your wives? How? As Christ loves his church. And I ask you the question, are, how many of you feel woefully unworthy to be able to do that, right? It, well, you know, God just asked me to go ahead and obey the Ten Commandments perfectly while you're at it. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, so, so but that's, his, that's, his, that, that's his, his beautiful plan. Give us, the, give us the goal, give us the perfect goal, right? And at least if we reach for it, we'll, we'll, we'll attain something better than we are currently, right? Uh, the famous football coach, Vince Lombardi, said the same thing. Perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. And so, men, let's catch some excellence as it relates to loving our wives, loving our families. Amen? Let's commit to this song, I will build my life according to your love.
make this your commitment before the Lord. I will build my life. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Yes, I will. that our hearts and our minds will be receptive to your word today. Anything that needs to be transformed in our lives, will you have our permission to do so, Lord. Please, please, we beg of you, transform lives today. In Christ's name we pray. Let me have some juice. Thank, thank you, brothers. We've just tech savvy. <laughs> we just move from one thing to another. Okay. When I get my microphone on here, if 
it works. I may move a little bit, you know how that goes, but for the time being, you know, there's a reason why the pulpit is focused where it is, and that's because the Word of God is central. You don't have to move around to make a point. You can stand right where we are, right where you are, preach the Word, let the Word of God speak, and that's, of course, what we want to do. Since you're very unfamiliar with a passage of Scripture, let's look at Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. There's a transition away from the role and responsibility of the wife, and now we're picking up in verse 25 the role and responsibility of husbands. Hear the word of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In 1992, a man by the name of John Gray became a best-selling author with a book entitled, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. John know that USA Today listed his book as one of the top ten most influential books that was written in, in the 90s, and as a matter of fact, it was considered a number one best-selling book in hardcover copy uh, as far as influential in the last quarter of a century, but also in the top ten in the 1990s. He actually has authored several other books on marriage. He poses a hypothetical and that hypothetical is that men, hypothetically, came from Mars. So you're Martians, guys. You ladies are Venusians because you're from Venus, right? So the hypothetical was that if we just think about the differences, we can say, well, we're just from different planets, and as you move through marital life, if you will view one another like you're from different planets, then you will actually begin to highlight differences in the fact that you have different values. As a matter of fact, the exact wording in his book is that since you come from different planets, then you must have a different code between men and women, different values, and different emotional needs. Now... I certainly agree that there's a difference between me and my wife. We know full well that the differences are real. 
we think differently, we see things differently, we feel things differently. But what the Bible would tell us is that we are made by God's design. Genesis 1.27 says that God formed man. He made man male and female. He created them. So man as a whole is made male and female according to God's very good, check this out, very good design. Okay? So, Genesis 2-7 will tell us that God made man from the dust of the earth. Any humility coming from us today? One old preacher said, man was made from the dust of the earth. And when man gets stuck on himself, he's mud. Yeah, pretty good, right? Well, we, we think of humility immediately, the destitute condition that, that we find ourselves in made from the dust of the earth. But let's, the reality is we're not from Mars or Venus. We're really from the earth, both of us. So in many ways, you have to deal with that. Are y'all listening? Man was made from the dust of the earth, and the Bible tells you you're going to return to the dust. And, and woman was made from the side of man. Thus, we're both from earth. And we, we think with that, hey, let's just deal with that. But this text, Ephesians 5, teaches you to do more than just deal with it. Actually, there are role assignments for men and women. Not only are you made in the image of God, he made them male and female, but God also gave you complementarian roles that we are supposed to fulfill before the Lord. And that's what we see here in Ephesians 5, 22 down through verse 33. So, the subjects that we deal with here, uh, there's no doubt that uh, there are marital problems in the world. Uh, our government, trickling down, wants to do away with the traditional family. You, I hope you understand this. We can't even define what a male or a female is today. Well, we can, but if we do, and we do it according to the Bible, then, of course, you're in the uh, minority today. But I, I encourage you, do not let this God-opposing world rob you from celebrating the differences between male and female. They're God-given, and they're beautiful in His design. Listen, if you don't realize that, and if you don't celebrate that, then you are not celebrating God's good creation. Because chapter 2 ends by saying this, after the creation of male and female, God looked at what he had created and saw that it was very good. It was very good. I think it's important for me to start the sermon off that way, to just remind you that male as, man as male and man as female is God's good and glorious creation. So don't let this God-opposing world rob us of celebrating the differences. Considering the differences this morning, it's been said that men are more like dogs and women are more like cats. What do you think, do you think about that? Is there some supporting evidence? Women more like cats? Is there any supportive evidence at all? Well, is it a woman or a cat? Number one, cats do what they want. 
Number two, they rarely listen to you. Number three, they're totally unpredictable. Number four, they whine when they, they are not happy. Yeah, this is a good one. Number five, when you want to play, they want to be alone. When you want to be alone, they want to play. They expect you to cater to their every whim. They're moody. They can drive you nuts and cost you an arm and a leg. And they leave hair everywhere. So, is it a woman or a cat? Maybe it's just that they are tiny little women in fur coats. All right, what is a dog? Y'all ready? A man or a dog? Dogs lie around all day long, sprawled out on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house. Number two, they can hear a package of food opening a half, <laughs> a half a block away, but they can't hear you even when you are in the same room. If y'all knew my story, you would know that a package of food today is going to be really good, but you don't know my whole story anyway. All right, number three, they leave their toys everywhere. They growl when they are not happy. Number five, when you want to play, they want to play. When you want to be left alone, they want to play. They're great at begging. They will love you forever if you feed them and rub their tummies. Number nine, they do disgusting things with their mouths and then they try to kiss you. And number 10, they can look dumb and lovable all at the same time. <laughs> Conclusion, maybe men are tiny little men in fur coats. Maybe that's the case. Now, in all seriousness, we think about the differences, we celebrate them, but at the same time, in church life, we are after mature masculinity. And we're aiming and pointing toward mature femininity. Those things are so vitally important. So, let's celebrate those things, not only individually, but as a church. In order for me to stop preaching the Word of God and what it says about God's design, there's no way I'm going to stop that. They're going to have to put me in jail, and, and it could happen. Censorship, it's coming, it's coming if things don't change, right? But that's okay. Uh, God has always grown the church through the crucible of persecution. And we've just been a nation that's been pretty much free of that real persecution probably since the institution of our country. But that may change and change rapidly. But let's make sure we stand on the word of God. Now in the previous sermon, we learned that husbands are to love their wives unconditionally. Remember, we're building on this outline of love your wives. Husbands love their wives unconditionally. Something preceded and motivated Christ to come into this world and die. And we have to take into account it was the love of Christ. As the text says, he loved the church. So we have to start with the sovereign, unconditional love and grace of Jesus because we were void of righteousness. We were void of virtue. We were void of deeds. So the love of Christ comes to us freely in spite of ourselves. Great verse, but God demonstrated his love Toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you, ladies and gentlemen, when you stood at the altar and you gave your vows and then you went on into your marriage, there may be some things that took you by surprise. 
about your spouse. But I want you to know that Jesus was never taken by surprise when it comes to you. Not only did he know the magnitude of your sin, he knows the sin and the recesses of the, the place you want to hide those sins from. He knows every single one of them. And yet he still said, I do. And yet he still came into this world to save sinners. So, the present imperative verb is love. And it indicates that this kind of love should be a regular hallmark. Remember, when it says earlier, for the husband is the head, excuse me, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to husbands, husbands love your wives. Remember, that is a present tense imperative, something that continues on. However, when it says that Christ loved, past tense, aorist tense actually, at a point in time, Christ loved the church in a certain manner, and we know when that was, when he gave himself. But you are to live that life of loving your wife presently as an ongoing hallmark feature of your affections toward your wife. So, In this unconditional love, it makes no provision for the wife to earn the husband's favor. The command entails the husband's responsibility regardless of the wife's behavior. In other words, you're to love your wife as a sinner. Look at one another because you're in the same standing. You're both sinners. You're to love her regardless of her health condition or her appearance or any other potential deterrent. So the fact that Christ loved the church even in her most unlovely and unbecoming state, becomes that which defines your commitment and what Christ expects from husbands in a marital relationship. So, number two, husbands are to love their wives sacrificially. Notice it's clear in this text. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, say it, and gave himself up for her. So it was the sovereign unconditional love and grace of Jesus Christ that compelled him to come into this world and he came in this world to show that love in such a way that he would give himself up for the church. Again, this is fascinating to me because it is typically Pauline. It's just like Paul to do this. He doesn't start by saying, oh I get it, there's, there's marital difficulties in Ephesus, there's contention, there's problems. Here's what you do. Buy your wife a dozen roses once a week. Take her out on a date. Right? That's not what he says. Now, it would be wise of you to do so. Compliment her. Right? We get this. You should know. But that's not how Paul starts. What does Paul do? He looks at the marital relationship, and he takes the cross of Christ and the gospel, and he plants it squarely in the center of the soil of marriage. Does he ever do this at any other time? You better believe it. Remember over in 1 Corinthians when the believers have a problem with sexual immorality and he says to them, just go read a book on the how-tos. No, he says, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. In other words, folks, the cross and the gospel becomes the focus of, of everything we do in the Christian life. If it's going to bring God glory, it becomes that thing that changes us, right? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. We can't move away from the cross. So husbands, here is the way you are to love your wives. 
It may sound totally unnatural, but here it is. Not only the way Christ loved, but the way Christ gave himself up for her. So it's language of sacrificial love. It is actually language of substitution. He gave himself up. It is language of substitution and sacrifice. Okay, you ready for a little grammar lesson? Love the church and gave. It is a conjunction, and, and it is actually ep, exegetic. What does that mean? Well, when we're preaching, we're trying to exegete what the text says and give it to you. Try to find out what the authorial intent is. But this word, this conjunction is very important because the and is ep, exegetic, meaning that the and is supplied to help explain the how, the why, and the extent of Christ's love. That's important. So he loved the church, and now the and says, this is how, what, why, in what manner did he actually love the church? Do you see it, folks? He gave. That's how he loved the church. And then there's a pronoun, himself. Why do you think that's in there? Why, why didn't it just say, Jesus gave? His love to the church. Why does it say he gave himself? Well, that's to front the emphasis, to further enhance what Christ's love was, and it indicates that no man takes my life from me. But I lay it down willingly. I give myself. So the reason himself is in the text is because he voluntarily gave himself on our behalf. He did not give himself because man took his life from him, no man can take his life from him. He gave it up. And he says, I did it because my father commanded me to lay it down. But if I lay it down, I have the authority to take it up again. Right? So it's emphasizing it. And then the use of for her communicates both advantage and representation. In other words, there's a substitutionary part of this. There's a sacrifice. We see here the act of substitution and sacrifice that secured your salvation. He gave himself up for you and for me. And if you're a believer, he gave himself up for you. You remember his words, again, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In the Good Shepherd text of John 10, the Bible says the Good Shepherd comes to lay down his life for his sheep. So Christ Jesus loved us and offered himself up for us as a pleasing aroma to God. Tony Marita hits the mark by saying this, Christ's love is Golgotha love. That's the hill that he died on, right? Christ's back was scourged. His hands and feet were nailed to the wood. A spear was thrust in his side and a crown of thorns was placed on his head all because he loved the church. Please hear the focus. Men, do you desire to love your wife the way that God calls you to love her? Folks, we have no chance of doing that unless we cling to the cross. We have no chance of doing that unless we are gospel-saturated people. It is that self-emptying love of Christ that motivated him to put his rights to, to the side, to put his privileges and his, prior, his prerogatives. Understand something, folks. Christ's sacrificial love was foot-washing 
love. Just think about the days leading up in the redemptive drama of him taking that towel, girding himself, and washing the feet of the disciples. In other words, husbands must be people of the towel. Right? Whose headship is our model? We, we get all bent out of shape when it says husband, the husband is the head, and that means authority. But who's your model? It's Christ. It's his headship. Though he is the head, he came to serve. It was his self-emptying love that compelled him to stay upon that tree while he was mocked and ridiculed and despised. It was that sacrificial love that compelled him to stay there to the point where he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His love for us kept him there. And he laid himself down as a sacrifice, and he did so gladly, and he did so willingly. Listen to Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfector of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the throne of God. Paul says, husbands, if you want to love like you're supposed to love, then let's look at Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he gave. Question, did Jesus demand his rights? Did he look at those who beat him and say, hey, you can't do that to me because I'm the creator of this world. Could he have done that? You better believe it. You can't say that to me. Do you know who you're talking to? Did he ever say, I have a few privileges of my own because I'm eternally God. He could have, but he did not. He was crucified at the hands of vile men whom he made. And he was placed on a tree that he grew. Think of the sacrifice. He could have said, don't you know who I am? But he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was the height of sacrificial self-emptying love that lets go of privilege, that lets go of rights, that lets go of prerogatives. Men, I know this is a high calling, but this is exactly the love that was exemplified while he was crucified, bearing the penalty of your and my sin. Bearing our penalty, this is what he did. So if, you are, if you're to be a spirit-filled husband, Following the word of God, saturated with the word of God, then you have to look to Jesus. We need to saturate ourselves with the gospel. We need to see the beauty of the cross and the glory of the gospel. I think if you show me a man who's gospel-centered and saturated, then I'll show you a man who knows how to treat his wife. No amens? I don't think it's possible to linger at the cross and meditate on the cross and breathe in the atmosphere of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and that love not spill over to the one that is bone of bone and flesh of flesh. Really, that's what it's going to get to in a few moments, right? In, in the passage when you are called to love your wife affectionately. Because she is bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. The two shall be called one. And so he's going to bring that up in a little while in the text. Is this a cure for tyrannical husbands? You say, well, I'm not a tyrannical husband. Well, let's just say that you might lean that way, okay? If you do, you need to go to the cross. 
The Lord of the universe died there, and if anyone had a right to be a tyrant, it was him. Why? Because all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. Yet, what we see at the cross was one who humbled himself. As a servant, he emptied himself to the point of death. The cure for a tyrant is to look at the cross. But what about the cure for a passive husband? Which I think for every one tyrannical husband, you've got ten passive husbands. So what do we do about that? What does the cross mean to us? Well, what if Jesus would have said, well, you know I love my bride. You know it. And I don't need to come down from glory to show it. I can just remain on my throne and not show it. I don't have to leave my place of glory at the right hand of the Father to demonstrate my love for her. As a matter of fact, what will the world think? I created them, but now I'm going to enter in as a man? They'll, actually, this has been argued, right, from, the, from people who don't know Christ. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. He did not consider his, his equality with the Father something to be grasped. But in turn, he made himself of no reputation coming in the form of a servant. That love demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross can do something for passive husbands who barely have enough energy to get off the couch. His love acted, folks. He didn't sit in heaven and say, whoa, I love my people. No, he came down. He condescended. He came into this world ultimately to honor his father and complete all that the father asked for the son to do. We forget that in our theology. But this is what the Son of God did ultimately to glorify his Father who sent him on a mission to save all the ones that the Father had given to him. And he did it! And he's doing it! And he'll complete it because he's the Lord of glory. So, he didn't just sit up there and say, everything's good, I love my people, I can show you. He came down. We have a down-to-earth kind of gospel. He came to save us so... Calvary love motivates us to do something. If you're a tyrant, self-emptying. Take yourself to the cross and think about what Jesus did for you. If you're passive, think about the fact that Jesus actually acted. He loved us. 1 Corinthians 13. Our marriages should have that aroma. Have you read that lately? We call it the love chapter. And it's important. Ultimately, it's wedged in between how to serve God with your spiritual gifts. And that's vitally important. But when you read through that, that's the kind of love that we see. It is sacrificial love. You'll be motivated, if you love like this, to lead your wife in servant ways. You'll, you'll be led to lead your wife in sacrificial ways. So we are called to love in a self-sacrificing way. Does this mean that we give in to every whim or desire? No, but it does mean that you put her before yourself. Are y'all awake? Are you awake? Ultimately, do something. That's one disadvantage of me not moving around as you're trying to sleep on me, right? <laughs> Ultimately, to do this, someone has to die. Are y'all listening? In other words, do you want to learn to crucify self? If you do, get married. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, hey, the greatest institution ever given to man to help him or her in sanctification is marriage. It will help you grow, right? So to put her first, you got to nail self to the cross. 
It has to be that way. I am crucified with Christ. Calvary love kills self-centeredness. In other words, if you want to get rid of the root of self-centeredness, just pour some Calvary love on it, and that thing will wither away. Especially if we stop long enough to think about it. And some of you are thinking, well, I hear you, preacher, but that's not me. I actually don't think that anybody loves that kind of way. As a matter of fact, I've hung around this church for a little while. And I've watched some of the men and some of the women. And it doesn't appear to me that there's this self-sacrificing love. Dr. Robinson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Baptist College in South Carolina for numerous years. It is now called CIU, Columbia International University. It was about 60 miles down the road from where I pastored in South Carolina when I was at Big Stevens Creek Baptist Church. But in March of 1990, Dr. McQuilkin announced his resignation with these words. Are y'all listening? Stay with me. My dear wife, Muriel, has been failing in mental health for about eight years. So far, I have been able to carry both her every growing need and my leadership responsibilities at CBC. But recently, it has become apparent to me that Muriel is contented most of the time when she is with me and almost none of the time that I am away from her. It's not just discontent. She's filled with fear, even terror, that she has lost me and always goes and searches for me when I leave home. Then she may be full of anger when she cannot find me. So it is clear to me that she needs me full time. Perhaps it would help you to understand if I shared with you what I shared at the time of the announcement of my resignation in our chapel service with our students. Here's what he said. This decision was, was in a way made 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as I told the students and faculty as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with this decision. But so does fairness. Here's what he meant by that. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially for all of these years. If I cared for her the next 40 years, I would not be out of debt. Duty however, is grim and stoic. There is more. Don't you love those words? There is more. Muriel is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit that I used to relish so, her happy spirit, her tough resilience in the face of her continually distressing frustration. I do not have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for such a wonderful person. Now, you may not have ever seen sacrificial love that follows Christ, but that's it. Are you listening? This, my friend, is a husband loving his wife just as Christ loved the church and having given himself up for her. We don't just deal with marriage. We get to have marriage based on God's design. So I echo Dr. McQuilkin. There is more. There is more. Please, I'll leave you with two things today. 
If you are not a follower of Christ, then you have to see the beauty and the wonder of the cross and Christ's great love for sinners. Right? His love for the unlovely calls him to lay down his life for his church, to pay a penalty that you owed, and he substituted himself for you, for all those who would believe. So I ask you, regardless of your religious affiliation, I go back to what Jesus said to Peter and to the disciples. Who do you say that Christ Jesus is? Who is he? Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Is he the Lord of glory, the King of kings, and the Savior of the world? Listen, Peter answered it and got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do you believe? Is he just some kind of religious figure way back there somewhere? Look, folks, when you read Ephesians 5, you cannot help but to look at the way Paul deals with marriage. And your heart instead is not drawn to marriage. It's drawn toward Christ. He gave him. That's why Paul designs the text the way he does. Is marriage important? You better believe it. Marriage don't have a half a hallelujah chance without Jesus. In this world, you look at this world and you think, well, I know a lot of lost people who made it through marriage. Yeah, but there's more than just making it through marriage. God did not give marriage as an analogy on the back side, uh, on the front side. He gave himself for the church on the front side, and he created marriage as an analogy of a real reality. And God has us live out that analogy on the face of the earth. Wives submitting unto their husbands as to the Lord, and husbands loving their wives as Christ. So I ask you today, do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Have you confessed him as your Lord? Have you repented and believed? Have you put your faith only in Jesus for salvation? Have you trusted in him, the one who gave himself up for us? And second, husbands, I want to say this. In these facets of Christ's love for the church, we've got a model set before us. And it can only be followed if we ourselves are fixed upon the cross. Filled with the spirit of the Lord. Gospel saturated men. What is it to do that? It is to love your wife as a sinner. And according to this text, it's to be willing to sacrifice on her behalf. Some men read this and think, well, that just means that I'd take the bullet for her, to protect her. It does mean that, but it means way more than that. It means that there's some self-emptying on your behalf to look to her good above your own. Right? And hear this. There shouldn't be a wrestling match to try to pull the other one down. In other words, are you living in such a way that you help your spouse obey the Lord? Think about that. Are you a hindrance and a barricade to your wife being washed with the water of the word? Or are you a bridge to that? We have to stop. We need to help one another fulfill our role and responsibility. Not just say, hey, bucko, you're on your own. Love me like Christ loved the church. Sister, you're on your own. You are to submit to me as unto the Lord. No, we are to help one another. So those things do not grow out of natural Adamic soil. They don't. It grows out of being filled with the Spirit of God. 
Those things are worked out in us before they are ever worked out of us. So the Bible says. So to love like this, we've got to stay close to the cross. Show me how to... I remember this distinctly. I was probably 21 years old. And I remember thinking to myself in my office studying the word, Lord God, help me love Natalie like you love the church. I don't know about you men, but I had to pray that. Maybe you catch it naturally from your Adamic soil. Well, I didn't. I had to pray, Lord God, help me love my wife the way you love the church and gave yourself up for her. Father, teach me. Change me. Tie me to the cross. I'll fix my eyes upon the Savior. All other things I'll have to count as loss. So today, men, may the aroma of Christ's love permeate you and your life. May the aroma of Christ's love help us understand that there's a crucifixion of self. There's pride that so easily comes up. And I promise you that if you stay close to the gospel and truly understand what the gospel is, which I don't believe churches understand the gospel today in many circles. But the fact of the matter is, here's the deal. Think about what the gospel is. Think about what happened on the cross and think about what Jesus is asking us to do. He loved her, gave himself up for her. May God manifest that beauty in our marriages from men to their wives. May we love them as Christ loved the church. So those two things. If you don't know the Lord, please be drawn to what it says in this text. That Jesus Christ loved the church. Gave himself up, sacrificial, substitutionary language, for her. Amen? Alright, God bless you. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask of you as men. Lord, I can't say these words for every man in here, Lord, but I hope this is the tenor of their heart. I pray this is the way they feel. If, if they're believers, they should. Lord, help us. Teach us. Lord, may we be a church that has men with mature masculinity. We're not afraid to teach our boys to be men. And part of that, being manly, is to love and sacrifice and give the way you did for us. God, help us. Lord, I pray that there'll be some reciprocal response to this sermon among our wives and our husbands in thinking about how we can help one another fulfill the God-given role of what you've asked us to be. Lord, help us. There are differences. They're unique because you designed us this way male and female, for your glory. You said it was very good, and you designed marriage. And in a sovereign sense, you pronounced Adam and Eve, husband and wife. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, be glued, joined, connected to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Lord, help us treat one another as one flesh. Help us to live out the gospel in our homes. Peter assumed that people would ask about the hope that is in us. Lord, I think that would mean that our marriages should pique interest in the world for them to ask, why do you live this way? Why do you treat one another this way? 
Why do you react the way you react? Lord, may our marriages be what they're called to be, a light of the gospel into this world, that you love the church and gave yourself for her. God help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand together and sing. Are you weary, heavy laden? Come and lay your burdens down. Jesus calls you, Jesus draws you. Rest in Him. He is gentle, He is lowly. He delights to bring us peace. Tender shepherd, mighty Savior, rest in Him. How sure His compassion, how sure His compassion for us. Oh, how deep is His love. So come, come to Jesus and rest in Him. Are you hopeless? Are you guilty? Caught in shame for all your sin? He pursues you to forgive you. Rest in Him. Paid for all. He has paid for every failure. Mercy flows in endless streams. Come and follow. Freedom calls you. Rest in Him. How sure, how sure His compassion for us. Oh, how deep is His love. So come, come to Jesus and rest in Him. Are you waiting? Are you waiting in your sorrows for this broken world to heal? He is coming, soon returning, rest in Him. We will see Him. We will see Him. We will know Him. Oh, what heights of grace revealed in His kindness. They promised and fulfilled. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He will keep us to the end. How sure his compassion. How sure his compassion for us. Oh, how deep is his love. So come. Jesus and rest how sure his compassion for us oh how deep is his love so come come to Jesus and rest in him come to Jesus and rest in him.
thankful the Bible says, I give to them eternal life and no man will ever pluck them out of my hand. Aren't you thankful when it says he saved us eternally, that that was nothing short of eternal? Amen? What a blessing. We can rest in Jesus. Justin, Morgan, Myers, and this is August. All right. Which is the month we're in. How about that, buddy? All right. Justin and Morgan have been visiting us for quite some time, and uh, they both feel uh, they'll be coming to us by transfer of letter from a sister Southern Baptist church. They both know the Lord. They both have fallen believers' baptism. I've had a chance to meet with them, and they are willing to take our new members' class that will begin sometime in September. So I introduce you to them, Justin and Morgan Myers and August, all right, as the newest members of our church. Amen? Amen. God is good. I have you walk back there with Don, and we'll have people greet you going out. All right? God bless you. Glad to have you all. All right. Well, I hope you have a blessed uh, Sunday afternoon, and uh, we'll be praying for you. Hope you can come back tonight. All right? God bless you. Brother David. And just real quickly, uh, those who can come to the uh, Back to Bethlehem meeting, please come and, and form the first several rows here, and we'll get started in about three or four minutes. All right? Uh, this is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. 